friends, welcome. This is it. We have over a decade of episodes unpacking stories and life to help you discover your purpose, your divine design, and what you are wired to do. This is Patty Lynn Wyatt. Please subscribe on YouTube or subscribe to Girlfriend It so we can be in it together. Okay, welcome, welcome. This is Girlfriend It and I'm Patty Wyatt. First of all, what is happily ever after? And what if it looked like someone saying, Ugh, being single can be so hard, or I know how hard it is, believe me, I've been there, but God has the exact right person for you. Well, today we have Jane Clark, author of Struggling Through Singleness, um, as our guest today. So welcome, Jane. How are you? I'm great, Patty. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Jane, 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 you wrote a book on struggling through singleness. And uh, I have so many questions for you because in your book, um, some of the the silly, stupid things that people say (laughs) would be me. Uh, So there's there's a lot for me to to learn here. Uh, But one of the things that you talk about Well, I'm just going to ask you, how do you help so many women out there as they are struggling with, you know, why doesn't anyone want me? Why am I not being chosen? Why doesn't someone pick me, pick me, love me, choose me? Why is God doing this to me? All these, all these scenarios that are happening. So tell us your story. Sure. Uh, I am a lifelong single. And so these are the things that I'm writing about are things not only that I experience, and this mini book in particular is telling a bit of my own story, but it's also, as I was grappling with things, I've had, I don't know, at this point, probably hundreds of women of all ages, it's not just younger women, who uh, have struggled with those kinds of questions and more. And it's been a real point of um, suffering for people and also would it's been a challenge in their relationship with God, and that's something that is of particular interest and concern to encourage uh, them that God, in fact, has not forgotten them, loves them more than they can ever know, and that their singleness actually provides an opportunity to know that. And that's that's not second best either. Mm. You know, w- when you say that, um, I, I would like to hear like even some of those relationships that you've gone through where then it ends up to, to, to where you're, you're back to being single. And I, this just happened to me yesterday. I, I'm going to, I'm going to share with you two scenarios. And when I talk about being the one that says the stupid things, cause we don't know what to say. Uh, I would like for you to help us into knowing like a better way of, of dealing with it dealing with it when your friends are struggling. So yesterday I I have a a dear, dear friend. Um, She's, she's never been married. She's single and her boyfriend just broke up with her for the second time. So they were together for a while. He, he broke up with her. He was going into the military and now it's happening again. And she's devastated And she literally said, I don't think I will ever get over this one. Like, I can't move on. And 
I responded to her through text saying, I, I'm in shock. I'm hurting with you. This sounds so cliche, but God has an amazing man out there for you. And I, and I know I have a tendency to do that. It's like, yeah, this happened to you, but don't you worry. God has this amazing person specifically just for you. And then just recently, I have another friend who's divorced and we were at an event, then moving into another couple's dinner that we were leaving one event and then a, a bunch of us were then going on to a couple's dinner. And she was talking with us as we're all trying to pack up and get ready to go to this other event. And she had to go home because she's single. And I thought, okay, how that has to be so hard because you're with all your friends, you're having a blast. And then we're saying bye because we're off to this other dinner party. And then the next night I, I went out with her and I, I asked her, you know, how hard is it when this happens? And she stared at me like, are you kidding me that I was even asking that? Like, of course, it's a huge void here. But on my end, I'm going, you know, I don't want you to feel invisible and ignore the elephant in the room. Yet I felt as though what I was saying was so ridiculously stupid by even asking her that. So those two scenarios, let's go back to the one that sounds so cliche. God has an amazing person out there for you. What, what has that felt like to you? I'm sure you've heard that so many times. And how have you dealt with that? And what's a better thing to say? Uh, it's something that I heard earlier in life, not so much recently, but uh, as I mentioned in the mini book, there are, first of all, I think people are coming from a sincere place. You know, it, I don't think they're trying to be silly or, or shallow or anything like that. They really care about you. They want to encourage you. And I think it's, hard but helpful for the person on the receiving end to recognize that because the person, I mean, the fact that you're even willing to talk about it and mention it and, and prove just by doing that, that they're not invisible and their, their pain is not unnoticed, I think is really helpful. Um, mm. But the reality is, is that there, there is no guarantee of that because you, no one, none of us can speak with any certainty about whether a person is ever going to be married or not, or frankly, even if they get married, how long they're going to have a spouse. And, uh, you know, friends give all kinds of what they think is helpful advice about um, how to, you know, oh, if you just did this, or if you just wore makeup or didn't wear so much makeup or lost weight or gained weight or went to the right places or didn't stay at home. But the, but the reality is that, no matter where you are, how attractive, how not attractive, what kind of a great winning personality you have or not, there are going to be people on either side. You have people with much better personalities than I have or much more attractive who are not married and people who are pretty ornery and, and not all that attractive who are married. So it's realizing it's not, not one particular thing or way of being that's going to uh, you know, or that God promises a spouse for everybody. That That is just not true. But what God does promise and what he does do is he promises to be with us and to have us know him and, uh, and comfort us in our loneliness and in our questions and in our doubts. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's pers- so it's really pursuing him and letting him meet us in that. But one of the things that I also talk about in this mini book is that the enemy, though, wants us to believe that God is other than good and that he's holding out on us by the fact that he hasn't promised us a spouse or he hasn't given us a spouse in the time frame that we wanted. And having to recognize that, okay, I have some wrestling here to do with the Lord about that. Yeah, you you share that at the end of your, your book on the, the three helpful strategies when you're struggling. And you go through um, a, a couple of them. And then the third one is to turn to the Lord. And you share that, you know, this final point is eminently important because it concerns the Lord himself. And Mm -hmm. you even bring in, you know, the story of Jacob who struggles with God in Genesis 32. And then Jesus himself in the garden of Gethsemane uh, on the night before his crucifixion, asking the question, you know, okay, God, what, what am I doing here? And he's really wrestling with God. So share a a bit more about how distressed and the grief of what he was going through. And you're, you're saying it's that same struggle with the Lord that you're, you're having there. Yeah. Um, if I I can back up a little bit to the the story in Genesis, it's such an intriguing story where if you remember that Jacob has sent his family ahead, they're on the way back into the promised land and he thinks he's alone. And all of a sudden he gets jumped and you know, it's not like there was a light or something. He's, he's wrestling with his being. And by the end of the, they wrestle through the night and by the morning, the the being he's wrestling with says, let me go. And he says, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And this was, this man is seen as the pre-incarnate Christ. So Jacob has gone from wrestling with someone to clinging to him. He's hanging on to him. And God, the, the, the man does bless him and interestingly changes his name from Jacob, which means deceiver, to Israel, which means struggles with God. He says, because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome. And that's just such an amazing story because he doesn't just change Jacob's name, but that becomes the name of the people of, of you know, God's, the nation of Israel. And then in the New Testament, we believers are called the new Israel. So that is, I would say, part of the nature of our relationship. It's almost expected that as fallen human beings and seeking to grow and living in a fallen world, we are going to wrestle with God. Mm-hmm. And then we see that even in Jesus himself, as you said, in the Garden of Eden, where, I mean, sorry, in the, in the um, Gethsemane, where he is saying, you know, if there's any way, let this cup pass for me. You know, he was fully man and he knew the agony that was before him, but mm-hmm. what he let him, he let himself be overcome, so to speak, by the will of God, not his own desire. So he was mm-hmm. honest. He poured out his heart again and again. It was a real struggle, but ultimately he let himself or surrendered himself to the Lord and he went to the cross. And because of that, when you fast forward then into Revelation, every single letter to the churches says to the one who overcomes, this is the promise. And then in Revelation 21, uh, anyway, the letters in the early part of Revelation, and then in Revelation 21, to the one who overcomes, you hear the new heavens and the new earth described. And that that is the 
full, think about that, that's from Genesis right through the Gospels into Revelation. This is the God who loves us so much. He understands our where we struggle. That includes singles. And he wants to meet us in that, comfort us in us, encourage us in it. And, and who knows? I mean, it can very well be that the person who's struggling with singleness at this moment will end up married, but everything they go through is they, they come to grips and learn contentment in, that, in, in their singleness will serve them well in their mm-hmm. marriage. Because I did a, a conference a couple of years ago, and I was talking about, it was a family conference, actually, and I was doing a talk called Every Single Family Member. And I said, okay, if you're single, please put up your hands. And people put up their hands. I said, okay, keep up your hands. And, okay, if you were single before you got married, put up your hands. <laughs> well, obviously, everybody put up their hands. And it's because singleness is the universal experience, not marriage. Mm-hmm. Mm. And what I hope is that uh, in, in church context in particular, that there would be more of casting a vision for singleness for as long as you are single. And when, frankly, most people will become, or at least many, many of married couples, very few die at the same time, will become single again. Hmm. Does that well, answer? Okay. I, I'm just saying, and so many right now are hitting midlife and getting a divorce. So they're becoming yeah. single again. And I know some of my single friends have said, yeah, I didn't have to go through that horrible thing (laughs) because, you know, you're hearing of these divorces that are just horrible and, you know, with the kids and now you're having to do Christmas at this person and then over here and now, um, so you skipped a nightmare is what I heard from one of my friends. At least I've skipped that nightmare and there's there's that part of it that aspect mm-hmm. yeah well, you, I mean you talk about um the conversations this is this is one of the I I really appreciated that in your your book um that people will say it, you know things like it's obvious you don't have the the gift of singleness you know or you know you're meant to be married and the right person just hasn't come along yet so hang in there it will happen uh share share a little more about the logic in that cuz you have an interesting uh parallel in what you share that with if you if if that's if that question made sense yeah it did um yeah i think that was one of the first things that really helped me because um, I think initially more than do this or do that and you'll end up married, what people were just saying is if you have the desire to be married, then clearly you don't have the gift of singleness and you will get married. It was sort of like this logic and mm-hmm. inevitable conclusion at some point. I just hadn't gotten there yet. But as you look at the scriptures, you realize, um, oh, wait a minute, that's not exactly, that's not quite what the scriptures are teaching. That, yes, it does, well, Frankfurt, there's not such a thing as called the gift of singleness. First Corinthians 7 does allude to something, and it, it talks about, um, but it's referring to a state either of singleness or marriage, and when it's talking about it, it's talking about it like it's an, uh, an objective gift, as opposed to a spiritual gift, which is what's talked about in First Corinthians 12. 
So an objective gift is something like the gift of salvation. That's something that anybody can, uh, you know, that people receive as the gift of salvation. And you can have the gift, quote, of being single, married, or unmarried. But it's not combined, it's not the same as the kind of gifts that are talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, which are spiritual gifts. Like if you have the gift of prophecy, you prophesy. If you have the gift of administration, you administrate. But there's no such thing as a gift of single, singling. You don't single. I mean, the joke in there is, well, maybe in baseball you do, but that's not <laughs> in life. And so it's a different kind of gift. And so as long as you're single, you have the gift of singleness. When you become married, if you become married, you have the gift of marriage. But as happened with my mom after my dad died, well, then her, she had the gift of singleness again. And to receive it as a gift. Now, there have been numbers, numerous books written on singleness, and one of them says, you know, if the singleness is a gift, what's the return policy? <laughs> Which <laughs> kind of, it is a humorous way to look at it. But if it is a gift that God in his sovereignty and his wisdom and his mercy and his love has given us, then the question is, okay, how do I come to grips with that? How do I receive that with thanksgiving and make the most of it as long as I have it, whether it's a short period of time or my lifetime? But there is, it's not like there's some supernatural thing that happens to you. So if you have the gift of singleness, well, you never have the desire to be married or you never have the desire to have children because and I think this is what you were asking. Look at it from the other perspective. Let's say you are married and then you realize, you know what? I just, I don't like being married. I don't like having um, to make decisions in conjunction with somebody else. Or it, 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 you wouldn't then say, well, then clearly you don't have the gift of marriage and you shouldn't have been married. Mm -hmm. or, or the same thing with your desires instantly come under some kind of control because of your marital status. Well, if that were true, then obviously married couples wouldn't be struggling with infidelity. Mm -hmm. But our, we have to bring all of our desires, whether we're married or single, under the lordship of the Lord and, and acknowledge where we are struggling and what we're struggling about and say, Lord, help. And he does, because that's part of the reason he came. And, and that's the part that really resonated with me because until I read that, Jane, I, I really did. I would look at my friends and go, but God has given you that desire to be married. So why, why wouldn't you have that? Like, why wouldn't God automatically follow through on that? If he's giving you the, that desire, otherwise he would take that desire away. And I have felt that way on many things. Um, you know, my, my sister wanted to, to have a baby and mm -hmm. I kept thinking, well, that desire is so strong. Certainly God is going to give her that baby. So it, and, and, and she did get that baby through adoption, but it, it just looks differently than the way we want to put God in a box. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, it, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. Yeah, I was, you're absolutely right. I mean, there are, there's obviously it's a wonderful thing to long for a partner. It's a one, it's a wonderful thing for a couple to long to have a child or children, but 
that it's not a guarantee that it's going to happen just because we have the desire. And it's we have to come with open hands to the Lord and say, Lord, I want what you want for me and and trust him to deal with or help us to deal with whether or not we actually receive what we long for. Because that can become, the, you know, those very fine natural uh, desires, like I said, they're fine up to a point, but they can become demands. And then if we make God the enemy, if he's not doing what we're basically demanding he do, that can become a problem. And I'm not saying every desire becomes a demand. I'm just saying it can. So they were always coming before the Lord, to the Lord, to the God who understands us, understands our longings, and will meet us in them and help us, <laughs> frankly, whether to, to meet us if um, he does not provide the thing we're longing for, or quite honestly, when people have longed for children and then they realize what they're in for, or get married and realize what they're in for, then they really need to turn to the Lord and say, help with that too. Yeah, such a healthy perspective. It Well, okay, so I have to ask you, do you long for a partner? When you say that, like at what point, you know, do you, do you live in that? I, I like in your book how you're describing, you know, the enemy is out to get you. And, you know, you, you're those whispers, you know, that you, you are doomed to wander the planet alone forever. So do you live with that hope of, of being married or are you completely in a place where you're able to do exactly what you said? My, my hands are open. I'm surrendering it over to you, God. Uh, that probably depends a little bit on when you ask me. Mm. Um, I think because staying in that place is, can be more of a challenge. I mean, to be honest with you at this point in my life, I'm, I'm retirement age at this point. Uh, and but I know people have gotten married in their seventies and their eighties, so I recognize that could happen. But I think I have been practicing now for decades, really, mm-hmm. um, really pursuing. I call it pursuing the Lord as my capital H husband. Um, where I and I think in some ways I might have fared better than others living in quarantine during COVID because I that has been so. He has been so very real to me for so long in that way. I don't know if that sounds strange or not, but mm-hmm. um, I have I, I wondered sometimes if I've cultivated that so much, if a, an actual man would have a hard time measuring up, <laughs> mm. so, you know, because I do see him as my companion and my provider and sharing a laugh or the beauty of a sunset of the one with the one who created it like that's from the time I was probably in my 30s and still figuring a lot of this stuff out, I was saying, Lord, you know, the people of Israel kept saying, I want a husband, I want a husband. And I, and then, I mean, I'm sorry, a king. And he's telling them, I'm your king. Mm. And, and look what happens when they get King Saul. And so I'm like, okay, I don't want to do the same thing with a husband. I want to try to say, Lord, instead of I want a husband, I want a husband to say, Lord, I want a husband if and when you want to give me a husband. So I wasn't there yet, but that's where I wanted to get. And Mm. that's still true. And yes, of course, I still get lonely. And sometimes I wish I had a a companion to share my life with. Um, But I'm really trying to focus on learning contentment day by day. Mm. You, um, I just 
listening to you and and I love the way you describe sharing the sunset with the one who created it made me think of Corey Ten Boom where that that love and that passion and truly craving Jesus uh, just to the point where in in some of the stories I've read about her where she's just talking out loud and then people realize oh she's she's talking to Jesus she's just in this mm-hmm. continuous companionship with with the Lord and uh I you painted that picture just now Jane and it's really cool it's, it's really neat to hear that in your voice and in your heart uh so what at what point well I'm gonna, I'm going to back up a little bit when you were younger did you have a long-term relationship at any stage in your life? I did. I did. I did. Uh, I was, as you were talking about your the, the first example, there was somebody that I saw for a while. We broke up. We got back together, and then we broke up a second time. And I that was actually my choice. And I knew when that happened, I was in my early 30s at the time, I knew that I might never date seriously again, but I just felt it was the right decision, um, but it was still, even so, it was hard because in, in some ways, in terms of, you know, you sort of have this list in your head of what you're looking for, and there were so many of those boxes that got checked off, um, but ultimately, I just felt like I don't think this is the person, I don't, I, and I don't regret the decision I made, but I have not had a, seri- a long-term serious relationship since. Mm. And do you follow where where he is and if he's married? I did, you know, uh, <laughs> thanks to how Facebook helps you just reconnect with people. Um, I did find out at one point, yes, that he had married and he had uh, children. He, he was still living in the same city where I was at the time. I had moved, uh, you know, uh, couple of years, I guess, after we broke up. Are you, so. are you able to say why you, you broke up? Um, I realized that we, on the surface, I thought we were in the same place, um, spiritually and came to find out sort of on that we actually were not. And that I knew that that would really become a, an issue uh, that uh, I guess you would using a biblical category that we would not have been equally yoked in that way. Mm-hmm. And um, I also wonder if, as it turned out, I had issues where I was not able to have children. And I know that that was something that was really, really important to him. And he had been honest that he didn't know what he would do if his wife couldn't have children. Mm. Um and so I, it's like, huh, I wonder if that was something that the Lord saved me from. But, I mean, that's kind of random. I don't know. But um, I, the being on the same page spiritually, where I believe there is one way, and he believed there were multiple ways to uh, be spiritually, was that was just a deal breaker for me. Yeah. Well, Jane, I have to say it has been an honor uh, to have you on the show today, and thank you for for sharing your stories, and thank you for being here on Girlfriend It, and we will talk to everyone next week. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening to Girlfriend It because our girlfriends are where we get our best tips for life. Find us on Facebook at Girlfriend It. Hit subscribe to iTunes or toginet.com.